in the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Wow. Have you seen the video yet? Hunter Biden high as a kite at the White House. Um, sorry, we don't like this. It's uh, very bad for uh, Hunter. It's very bad for his family. It's very bad for uh, the kids. There are kids right there. He's high, obviously. Obviously, he's high. Obviously, it's his cocaine. But you can see it. He's under the influence right there on the Truman balcony in the middle of the fireworks display. He's high as a kite. It's just, uh, he's sweating profusely. He's uh, scratching his head. He's got nervous tics all over the place. And then he, uh, what does he do? What do they say? What do they say in the disco world, in the club world, right? They, he took a bump. I never understood that. He'd take, take a bump of cocaine, but you put a little bit on your hand or your wrist or something like that. I, I truly am novice. I don't know anything about this stuff. I would tell you if I did. I told you I smoked pot a couple of times, didn't like it. I would tell you if I ever did this, but I never have, and I don't know the the nomenclature, the practices, but I do think it's called a dime bag, and I do think it's called a uh, a bump. You take a bump. It's kind of like you take a hit of pot, you take a bump of cocaine, you put a little on your uh, on your wrist there, and you can't see exactly what he does, but if you take the big picture in, the mannerisms, how he's moving his arm, he scratches his nose right behind Jill Biden, um, it looks like he just took a hit of cocaine, a bump, I should say, a bump. And this video was all over the place. Uh, some people are really skittish about it. I don't understand why. It's uh, it's from C-SPAN. Somebody got it from C-SPAN. The camera's on uh, Joe and Jill and Hunter, and Hunter's freaking out, kind of. And um, it seems to be using cocaine. That's what it looks like. And according to Hunter Biden, he's used a lot of cocaine in his life. And we would love it if he kicked that habit, but it doesn't look like he has. And I would just say, you know what the worst thing in the world would be um, uh, for the Bidens? If Hunter OD'd again, okay? So you are totally abusing this guy, uh, Joe. You are. Your own son. He does not belong in that environment. It's bad for him. It's totally bad for him. That kind of exposure, that kind of attention. Um, yeah, I looked it up. That guy, Curtis Roosevelt. FDR grand, FDR's grandson, um, 20 years ago, he wrote a book about all the stuff he went through as the grandkid of FDR and how it was like just this artificial world and everything you did was marvelous and wow. But in the meantime, you were falling behind. You were slipping wildly behind everybody outside the White House because, well, in the real world, you got to develop talents. you got to develop skills. You, not everybody's nice to you all the time. you got to m- learn how to make your way through the world. Now, it looks like Hunter is a lost cause, but he does have a kid. Um, he has many kids. One is in Arkansas. The other one's in the White House. How about that? One is in rural Arkansas uh, running around um, on a dune buggy in Arkansas. The other one's in the White House. Um, it's really a... So the cocaine, obviously, in the West Wing. Do we think it's Hunter's? You know what? <laughs> you see what you see what Trump said? It's pretty good. I think this is why we love Trump. All right. One of the reasons he put out a big uh, truth social. And it's funny because I was talking to a friend of mine just before this truth social came out. And they said, I think I think Joe is doing the cocaine. I'm like, come on, stop that. No, he's not. I mean, come on. Yes. Yes, he is. They told me. 
I mean, you ever see him how he's high and then he's low and then he's he's manic a little bit sometimes and then he's really, really kind of uh, slow and depressed. I'm like, hmm. So leave it to Trump, okay? He, <laughs> uh, let's see here. Right in the middle of it, right when everyone's trying to figure out whose cocaine was that. It's a heavily trafficked area, so it was probably one of the tourists or a relative of one of the staff members who was there on a Sunday tour. And then right in the middle of it all, Trump. Does anybody really believe that the cocaine, in all caps, cocaine, found in the West Wing of the White House, very close to the Oval Office, is for the use of anyone other than Hunter and Joe Biden? But watch! The fake news media will soon start saying that the amount found was very small and it wasn't really cocaine, but rather common ground-up aspirin, and the story will vanish. Has deranged Jack Smith, the crazy Trump-hating special prosecutor, been seen in the area of the cocaine? He looks like a crackhead to me. He does, Greg. He looks like a crackhead. I just love this part. My favorite part of it is, uh, has deranged Jack Smith, the crazy Trump-hating prosecutor, been seen in the area of the cocaine? Like the cocaine, there is an area... The, the vicinity of the cocaine. Right? <laughs> oh, he was in the. <laughs> uh, that's great. That's great. He's fantastic. It's so um, they are trying to move us on. Move along. There's nothing to see here. We'll never be able to determine uh, if the co- who 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 put the cocaine there. I've been to the White House. I used to work at the White House. Oh, by the way, uh, and I know those tours they're talking about. These are the special VIP tours. You don't actually get to go into the library. I don't think. And um, I'm sorry, but I, I, he's a drug addict and he lives there. And we all saw that he's still using. He is still using. And that's not hateful. Uh, that's hopeful. All right. I want this guy to get help. I want. And the first thing they should do with him is get him the hell out of the White House. He can't hack it. He can't. The, 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 the scrutiny, the attention, all this stuff. He doesn't deserve it. It's not his. But it can go to your head. It's very, very weird. The whole thing. So, um, uh, what else can we say? Hmm? I mean, wouldn't it be hard to think about it? If he OD'd, what would that do to the Bidens, right? They got Bo, you got, and God forbid, Hunter, and then he had his first wife, and then, uh, I think his daughter, right? All the way back in 1972. I'm trying to help the guy, really. Just like I said, Joe, stop running and, uh, uh biking all over the place. Stop fake running. Because you're going to trip and hurt yourself. I told him this in February of 2021. I saw him take a little stumble, just a little one. If you blink, you miss it. But I said, you know what? That's going to lead to a problem. As he's trying to show how, uh, you know, what vitality he has and all that stuff. He's overdoing it. And he's going to, um, he's going to hurt himself. Compound fracture or whatever. What do we have on the Philadelphia shooter? You know, I was trying to watch the fake news. <laughs> uh, they don't seem to know anything about the Philadelphia shooter. Uh, cut 17, please. Cut 17. This is Andrea Mitchell. Andrea so, Mitchell. So, George Sleese, what have we learned from this morning's arraignment, if anything, about the suspect? We knew very little about him, except that he was armed and, and wearing battle gear. Very little about him. I already went through this. I I knew he was transgender and a Black Lives Matter activist and uh, had a roommate named Bill that he didn't like. And... Uh, like this bra, but not that bra. He liked Victoria's Secret lingerie, but he did not like um, uh, today's girl lingerie. Yeah, fake breasts. I know all this stuff. Why don't you, Andrea, and your reporter, George? How could you not figure this out? We have another one, please. Andrea. 
And right now on Andrea Mitchell Reports, mass shootings striking several communities over the holiday weekend from Louisiana and Texas to Philadelphia, Boston, and our nation's capital. Sunlight fireworks, so I came outside to investigate. I saw the gunman firing in front of the school. President Biden preparing to head to South Carolina. The Democrats' first All right, primary so listen, state. To this, is, this is Andrea Mitchell's big problem. Um, she says Andrea Mitchell too much throughout the show. She's <laughs> It's Andrea Mitchell reporting. Hi, I'm Andrea Mitchell. Later on, Andrea Mitchell reports. It's all about that. It's not about the information. So she goes to her uh, reporter here. Uh, maybe he would know something. Cut 18. Morning, Andrea. The suspect appearing in court via closed circuit television for the first time. We got our good look at him. Authorities just releasing the name Kim Brady character along with a mugshot. Did you catch the name? Did you catch the name? Kim Brady who? What? Where's the mugshot? Next, please. Cut 19. And you're right. We didn't know a whole lot about this suspect other than what police had said, that this individual was wearing a ski mask with a tactical vest, had an AR-style rifle, a handgun, and seemingly targeted people at random in this southwest Philadelphia neighborhood, killing five. That now part of the charges this suspect faces. Eleven total offenses with multiple counts in each, everything ranging from those murder charges to aggravated assault to carrying weapons without a permit. It's kind of funny that they would actually carrying weapons without a permit. You just killed seven people. They're going to get them on the permit stuff. Um, but you hear right there. I I knew everything about this case, and I wasn't even following the news uh, uh, very very closely at all. I had the day off, and uh, this guy. <laughs> well, it's very strange. Yeah, we don't know anything about him. We don't know anything about him. And when it comes to the cocaine, where are they on the cocaine? Um, well, uh, boy, this is uh, another mystery. Mystery cocaine. Cut twenty one. This happened on Sunday night. This was a, a weekend in which the president, the first lady, and his son Hunter and his family were at Camp David, not in the White House. So the number of staff in the building would have been significantly reduced. But it was a holiday weekend when many staff might have had friends and family coming to visit uh, and might have wanted to give them tours. And so the real question, again, is how long this item had been there. And that will help to determine just what kind of investigation uh, into the individual who brought it into the West Wing and how quickly that might be resolved, Andrea. How quickly it might be resolved. What is this double talk, all right? Hunter, Hunter. You say he was in uh, Camp David. Well, um, <laughs> he lives there. You can leave stuff on Friday. It could be found on Sunday. It's not the kind of thing you would necessarily find right away. Um, they're all just mystified by this. Cut 22. Where do things stand now? This is so unusual. You and I have covered the White House for years. I can't even fathom anything like this having been found before in the West Wing. And I go back to the 70s at the White House. So this is pretty, pretty wild. If Andrea Mitchell it's goes back to the 70s, Andrea. it's extraordinary. Oh, my God, this is so wild. I went through it. It's not that wild. You ever see some of these White House parties? I mean, they're, they can be pretty wild. You invite, uh, you invite these superstar celebrities and, uh, who knows what they're bringing with them. These parties go all night long. And, um, we have it on record that Willie Nelson was smoking weed at the, uh, White House. Now, let's see. Barack Obama, he liked to do a little bit of blow according to his own memoir back in the day. But did he stop when he, um, when he got to the White House? I'm sure he did. I'm just saying it's not that crazy. It's just not the most unusual thing ever. Um, right? Right. Uh, one other thing here. They blew the lid off of the censorship campaign that the Democrats were engaged in. 
Uh, big tech. You know, Joe Biden says jump. They say how high? And there's a great lawsuit being waged by Louisiana and Missouri against the Biden administration and big tech because you know and I know that conservatives are silenced or minimized on social media. Uh, big tech, they have all kinds of fancy ways of doing that. And sometimes they're not, they're not even that fancy. The White House just calls up uh, Twitter and sa- they say, shut this guy's account down. And they do. Uh, and when Joe said this, and it was the most dangerous thing I've ever heard from not one of them. Um, you think he's exaggerating a little bit here? Cut 23. This is when he accuses Facebook of killing people. Cut 23. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, they really... Look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And and they're they're killing people. How dare they? They're killing people. So you and I can't go on Facebook and talk about the side effects. Isn't it interesting, the entire, you know, all those PSAs I saw about get the vaccine... Not one of them mentioned the side effects. I had a lot. I got, I had hallucinations, mumps, chills, bumps, uh, you name it, lumps. I was all swollen and bloated and I wanted to, uh, die for about 12 hours. Uh, but I got through it. I got through it. I, I would have liked the heads up though. Wouldn't you? Be right back. Greg Kelly, Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, did you hear about the uh, the fire over there in Jersey? Two firefighters killed on that on that ship, on that cargo ship. They went in there and they lost uh, the visibility. I think they got lost on the ship. Uh, two firefighters killed from Newark, uh, five injured. Uh, terrible. Let's see what else we have here. Uh, ship. I, I, I know this from the news because, well, what did they say? They said, um, our thoughts are with the families. Our thoughts are with the families. I noticed that, uh, you see this on the, on TV. They don't say thoughts and prayers anymore. Uh, that's been somehow uh, stigmatized. You can't, you can't say thoughts and prayers. Uh, let's see here. Um, uh, a very unusual fire, the Times reports on a ship loaded with vehicles. Very challenging fire to fight. The, the chief there, Rufus Jackson, said he's from the Newark Fire Department. There was a call from help from a nine-year veteran, Augusto Akabu, 45 years old. Soon after, a firefighter with 16 years of experience, Wayne Brooks Jr., became trapped. Neither survived. These were two of our best, said Mayor Roz Baraka of Newark. Um, noting that neither hesitated to rush into the fire on a ship with at least 12 decks, something they had not trained for. Yeah, fighting a fire on a ship is a totally kind of different animal. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's different. It's complex fi- fighting a fire or a building, but it's a different kind of complexity with a ship. Our members went in like we always do to try to make a bad situation better, Chief Jackson said. We think and we hope that each day we go out that we return. This is an ultimate sacrifice. Think about that. You know, most people, like, at their job, you know, there's just no question that they'll ever be called upon to die, right? There's just, it's not going to happen in most jobs, except for some key ones like firefighters, uh, police, uh, soldiers, Marines. That's kind of part of the job description. That's kind of what uh, can happen. And it does happen, and it will happen. 
And thoughts and prayers are appropriate at times like this. You know, it's interesting. This guy, one guy, um, had a career change, it looks like, and went, went into the firefighter, went into the department at the age of 36. Augusto, he died at the age of 45. Wayne Brooks Jr., 49. He was a 16-year veteran. Tough stuff. Tough stuff indeed. And uh, got pictures and video of the firefighters coming together. Let's see here. Uh Ooh, this is a really bad one. The fire presented unusual logistical challenge, challenges at Anthony Tarantino, president of the Newark Fire Officers Union. Mr. Tarantino said firefighters were forced to use hoses with a one-inch diameter rather than large ones with greater water pressure. Less water, less volume, less penetration, and less protection for the guys, Mr. Tarantino said. I've never fought a fire like this one. Mayor later said that because the Grand Costo Davorio, the ship, was European built, its firefighting equipment was not compatible with Newark's larger 2.5 inch hose lines. We couldn't connect our hoses to the ship, so we had to use what was on the boat. It wasn't our equipment. Wow. Never would have thought about that, huh? Um, let's see here. Freddie Bundy, 65, works at the port inspecting cars as they are unloaded from the ships. He said he had been on board the ship, which he said usually carries used cars to the Ivory Coast in West Africa and to Haiti. The vehicles, he said, are driven off and on the ship and hold oil and at least some gasoline. Gosh, yeah, you never think about that either. If you don't know the ship's layout, you're in a dangerous place. There are hatches and stairs. Uh, the ship operator is based in Naples, Italy. Has 130 vessels, 17,000 employees. The company describes itself as Italy's largest ship-owning group. Wow. That's tough. Well, our best to uh, all the firefighters uh, over there in Newark and firefighters and first responders and police everywhere. I notice the police, uh, they get a hard time everywhere they, they go, including and especially Los Angeles. Did you see the arrest footage yet? It looked actually... Not that bad to me. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Oh, this is juicy. Wow. Oh, Eric Adams. Oh, Eric, Eric, you got caught again. The first of many. You are. I mean, I knew this about you a long time ago, a long time ago, all the way back in the 90s. People are just now catching on that you are a fraud and a phony and a bad guy. <laughs> Even the New York Times has been awakened. Maybe they're woke now in a in a special way. Look at this. Look at this, okay? The mayor had a photo of a fallen officer. Was his story about it true? Mayor Eric Adams has often talked about a wrinkled photo of a fallen police officer that he kept in his wallet. Now that photo and the story have been called into question. Let's go. Emma Fitzsimmons wrote this story, and I've been seeing some pretty impressive stuff from her. I think she actually woke up herself before it was like, oh, yes, Mr. Mayor. Ooh, Eric Adams likes this restaurant. Ooh, Eric Adams likes this kind of shirt. Ooh, and now she's kind of seen through it, and she's doing some pretty good work. Uh, let's see here. In Mayor Eric Adams' first month in office, he was confronted with a tragic crisis, the deaths of two New York City police officers who were responding to a domestic disturbance in Harlem. Mr. Adams, a former police captain who campaigned as a Democratic crime fighter, 
quickly sought to humanize the killings. The loss of the officers, he said, reminded him of the 1987 line-of-duty death of a friend, Officer Robert Venable. I still think about Robert, Mr. Adams said at a news conference at City Hall. I keep a picture of Robert in my wallet. A week later, Mr. Adams posed for a portrait in his office holding a wallet-sized photo of Officer Venable after the New York Times had requested to see it. Mr. Adams has since repeated the moving anecdote in media interviews and at a police academy ceremony last June, where he again displayed Officer Venable's picture. But the weathered photo of Officer Venable had not actually spent decades in the mayor's wallet. It had been created by employees in the mayor's office in the days after Mr. Adams claimed to have been carrying it in his wallet. The employees were instructed to create a photo of Officer Venable, according to a person familiar with the request. A picture of the officer was found on Google. It was printed in black and white and made to look worn as if the mayor had been carrying it for some time, including by splashing some coffee on it, said the person who spoke on the condition of anonymity for fear of retribution. Two former City Hall aides who asked not to be identified said they were informed about the manipulated photo last year not long after it was created. Fabian Levy, a spokesman for the mayor, did not dispute that Mr. Adams had shown a photo to the Times and at the police ceremony that had been recently created by a city hall aide. Mr. Levy, however, insisted that Mr. Adams had carried a photo of Officer Venable for decades and provided the names of several former transit colleagues who said in interviews that Mr. Adams and Officer Venable had been friends. That's not the point here. The person who directly ordered the altered photo to be created, according to the person who was familiar with the matter, said she had no comment when reached by the Times. She said she had been told to direct all media inquiries to Mr. Levy. Crisis mode! Mr. Levy criticized the Times for what he called characterized as a a campaign to paint the mayor as a liar. Well, if the shoe fits, the Times' efforts to attack the mayor here would be laughable if they were not so utterly insensitive and offensive. Okay, how long until they play the race card? Is that coming here? I have a feeling. It could be. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay. Oh, now Mr. Levy has gone into hiding. Fabian Levy, right? He's the press guy. Uh, he's not. He re- re- ignored repeated requests to elaborate on the authenticity of the photo. He also did not respond to questions about whether the photo was made to look old, in part by staining it with the coffee. <laughs> This guy. Uh, let's see here. Mr. Adams claims to have sold his steak. Okay, there's a this. Oh, they're all talking about all these other tall tales he's been telling. Okay, but back to the uh, back to the cop in the wallet thing. In his retelling of the carrying of the photo of Officer Venable, the mayor and his staff went a step further. City resources were used to create a photo that Mr. Adams surely knew had not been in his possession for decades. City employees were pressured to get involved. I'm I'm looking at a picture of him. Oh, by the way, at a uh, at a big press conference, a big event, and the seal of the city of New York is right there, and he takes that thing out. Yeah, this is a picture of my friend, and it's been in my wallet for all these years. You liar! And to lie about something like this. In the initial interview with the Times in his office, Mr. Adams said that the photo was always in my wallet until my wallet got too bulky, and added that he more recently had been keeping it in a money clip. He was a <laughs> My wallet got too bulky. Everybody's wallets get too bulky. You take out the stuff every now and then that doesn't mean anything. That's not important to you, right? Old gym memberships, whatever. But you keep the cop's picture with you. You humming, 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 humming. He's busted. 
Mr. Adams brought up the photo in at least two television interviews last April as he discussed his grief following the deaths of the officers in Harlem, Wilbert Mora and Jason Rivera. Like he always does. He always makes it about him. Right? You remember when those cops were shot and uh, it was terrible, terrible. But he always makes it takes an opportunity to make it about him. Kind of like when he remember he claimed racism, that lady was complaining about high rents and he said, you, you don't own this plantation. What? I understand that pain, Mr. Adams said on News 12. I carry around a picture of Robert Venable, my close friend that was shot several years ago during my early days of police. And I always have Robert's picture. The pain never dissipates. Hmm. Really? At the June 2020, he keeps doing this. One of my closest friends, one of my oldest friends. Uh Uh-oh. Now they reached out to the family. What do they have to say? This, quite frankly, New York Times, I'm impressed. I'm impressed, all right? At least the metro section seems to be doing its job. Um, Officer Venable's daughter, January Venable, who was eight when her father was killed, said that she did not recall ever meeting Mr. Adams until this year. Mr. Venable, Ms. Venable, that is, now 44, said in an interview in early spring that she was surprised to learn that the mayor was carrying a picture of her father. All I can say is that as far as being in his wallet or not, the fact that people still think of my dad all these years later, um, that's nice. It makes me thankful that he's not being forgotten. I can understand that. Uh, but back to the politics of the matter. This guy is milking it. Okay, this guy is exploiting it for his own political benefit, very much like Joe Biden. And didn't Eric Adams call himself the Biden of Brooklyn? Well, maybe he is in more ways than we realized. Um, it goes on here. Let's see here. We parted. Again. Benjamin Andrews said that he was Mr. Adams partner on the transit force. They were friends with Mr. Venable. We worked together, party together. Um, she wanted her father to be remembered. Okay, this is all nice stuff, but it's a. Uh, and I'm looking at the thing. I'm looking at the picture right now. Yeah, that's a photocopy. <laughs> that's just a photocopy. That's not, that's, that's a photocopy. That's a recent photocopy. What a bum. Don't you think? What a bum. This was not the first time that Mr. Adams or his campaign provided a document to the Times that raised questions of the authenticity. During the height of the 2021 mayoral race, the campaign told the Times it would provide a contract showing that a property Mr. Adams co-owned in Brooklyn was transferred to its other owner, Sylvia Cowan, in 2007. A week later, the campaign provided the official document transferring ownership. A letter to Ms. Cowan, not notarized, bearing Mr. Adams' signature, but not hers, dated February 9, 2007. An email obtained by the Times said Ms. Cowan sent in May 2021 to the co-op board said that Mr. Adams had agreed to transfer ownership to her 14 years after the letter provided by the campaign. Well, it's catching up to him. All right. You can't go to jail for stuff like this, but it's important. And it's a window. It's a it's a it's a view into the soul about this guy that I told you about a long time ago. And here's another little unique peek into somebody we've uh, we're all familiar with uh joe biden something kind of extraordinary all right i mean joe you got to remember this was became a senator of a nowhere state sorry delaware but i mean as far as states go you're smaller geographically and with fewer people than suffolk county there are like there are like 500 counties in america that are bigger than the state of delaware it is puny 
And Joe Biden is a, a very puny guy, and nobody 29-year-old somehow gets himself elected uh, senator of this state. He should, county executives, the Nassau County executive has more authority, more cops, more everything to, to under his or her care than than this guy ever will, as a senator at least. Anyway, he thinks he's a big shot in Delaware because he is. And he had a beef with somebody. And in the old days, you could do this kind of crap. That's why people got into government, so they could have some power and they could abuse it. So did you know um, that Jill Biden, the first lady, actually was married to somebody before Joe? She was. And this is, you know, things happen in life, whatever. I mean, it's uh, every family almost has been touched by divorce. It's a sad thing, but it happens. So um, Jill was married to this all-around great guy named Bill Stevenson, who owned one of the most famous bars on the East Coast, the Stone Balloon. It's famous for its um, uh, a lot of reasons, but some great musicians came through there, including Bruce Springsteen. Um, major national groups would come to the Stone Balloon. It was the place to go. So um, Bill is married to Jill, and everything's wonderful. But then they start hanging around Joe Biden and helping with him with his campaign and volunteering. And Joe gets a look at Jill and likes what he sees. Okay. So, um, at some point, uh, Jill leaves Bill and starts hooking up with Joe. Thing is, they were still married. And, uh, look, these things happen. I'm actually not saying that, uh, things happen. Okay. But Joe had a big chip on his shoulder. And he really resented, it looks like, Bill Stevenson, the ex-husband. And after he was re-elected in 1978, uh, everybody in Delaware seems to understand that uh, Joe had it in for Bill Stevenson. And I can't believe, I can't believe that this happened, and it did. And I just found it. Um, You know about the trouble that Hunter's going through? Well, trouble. <laughs> I mean, the guy's, that guy's led a life of crime, quite frankly, and he's never been arrested. And now he's going to court in a couple of weeks, uh, two misdemeanors and no jail time for tax stuff, for not paying taxes years and years and years of not paying taxes. And this money coming in from all over the place and the drugs and the prostitutes and possibly human trafficking. He's not going to jail. He will not even be charged with a felony. It's a, the ultimate sweetheart deal which could blow up in their faces because it looks like Hunter has not changed his ways. Anyway, all that to say, I found this uh, I found these documents from 1982. And guess who they went after in 1982? Bill Stevenson. The federal government, the FBI, they went after Bill Stevenson. Why? Well, it was a tax issue. And I'm looking at it right here. So, he owned that Stone Balloon place, right? Very big thriving business. And you got to pay payroll taxes, right? Well, he said during the first quarter of 1982, according to this document, um, and it's a federal motion here, he did not pay taxes in the first quarter of 1982. Okay, now the first quarter of 1982, how many months are there in a quarter? Three, right? So the first three months of 1982, or any year for that matter, January, February, and March, right? Right? Three months. When did they move in? When did they haul in Bill Stevenson? April 8th. 
1982. <laughs> eight days. He's eight days late with these payments. Eight days. And they haul him into federal court. Federal court. Eight days late. Now this is 19, first, let me just come in. First quarter of 1982. This is the payment. April 8th, they haul him in. He's accused of felony tax evasion, all kinds of stuff. Standing before a federal judge, it looks to me like his only crime was being married at one point to Joe Biden's uh, then wife. And, and Bill, Bill found her first. Oh, by the way, the circumstances, how Joe met Jill, total BS, total BS. It's a legend that they put out. It's not true. Okay, they met during the campaign. I mean, they met <laughs> Jill was very much occupied, married, taken, okay? And Joe, uh, wow, anyway, those things, but this is wild. This is, I'm going to expand on this in a little bit. I have a document right here. They waited eight days before locking this guy up and charging him with felony tax evasion. Unbelievable. Now, and back in 1982, no internet. Um, Delaware is, like I said, sorry, a bit of a backwater in some, some might say. Everyone's looking at New York. Everyone's looking at Washington. Everyone's looking at Los Angeles. Who's really looking at Delaware? This is the kind of stuff you could do if you're a no-good, rotten politician like Joe Biden. How dare this man? More to follow. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly. Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, we have that, uh, the arrest, the arrest in Los Angeles getting a lot of attention. Everyone's saying I should be outraged, uh, by it. Uh, I've, I think I'm a pretty fair, reasonable judge about these things, actually. And, um, let's, uh, let's see what we can find out, okay? Uh, these two people were allegedly, uh, shoplifting and harassing a security guard inside a department store. Not a department store, like a, um, more like a Target, but it wasn't a Target, like a, like a Kmart type place. That's not really the, what do we call that? A box store? It's not really a box store either. Uh, alright, what happens? Go. Stop, you can't touch me. You can't touch Stop. me. Get down on the ground. Why are you? Get on the ground. It's out. Is that all right? No. Let me get 902. Hey, hey, girl, she got hey, put his knee in my... My arm is up, man. Who we'll put the theme music Stop. in? You can't touch me. You can't touch me. All right. Um, now she she throws out a couple of I can't breathes. You can't Get touch me. Get on the ground. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sometimes police have to use force. They're authorized to use force. Don't we kind of want them to use force sometimes? Are they supposed to be intimidated every time a woman says, uh, don't, don't touch me? I mean, I don't think they even should hear that sometimes. I can't breathe. Did you hear that? You're getting arrested. All right, she's the one making the big fuss. I'm not doing anything. Well, you're being arrested. Give me your hand. All right. Give me your hand. I don't care. Put your hand behind your back. You're going to get sprayed again. Uh, I'm, it's, it's not pretty. 
it's not nice. I don't think arrests are supposed to be nice. So the store calls the man and the woman are uh, shoplifting and harassing one of our security guards. They show up, these two there. Not only do they fit the description, I think the store said those are the two people involved. And she's saying, I can't. I would imagine a shoplifter is not exactly law-abiding, right? Would immediately try to say things like, yeah, I can't breathe and police brutality and don't touch me and this, that, and the other thing. The pictures are not nice, but they're not like the most egregious thing. I'm sorry. It's not like Rodney King getting beaten up or anything like that or George Floyd. I'm sorry. It's just not. The yelling and the screaming, the dramatization maybe. Anyway, I haven't taken a call yet. Let's try uh, Mike. I'm sorry, Bill. Bill, hello. Hey, Craig. Craig, hi. Uh, First of all, I want to compliment you. That Netflix special that you and Rob Schmidt and Eric Bowling did was second to none. Uh, what, what, uh, what, I'm not familiar actually. Anyway, well, thank you for that. Uh, what else is going on? All right. Recently I was at a local restaurant picking up an order to go and, uh, a black man is standing next to me. We had a lovely conversation and then he says to me, you're Christian, aren't you? And I said, yes, I'm Catholic and I still attend church. And he says, so do I. And we identify our churches. And then he asked me, he says, what do you think of Joe Biden as a president? And I says, well, he wants to separate and divide us. And he's using Christianity to a degree to do it, because I've never heard him say anything positive about Christianity. And this gentleman says to me, I totally agree. We looked at each other, we identify our names, and he says, that's what we should be talking about. But he doesn't want to do that. He wants to take, the man says to me, he wants to take us your side and my side, and divide us and conquer us. And I says, well, it's not going to happen to me. And he says, it's not going to happen to me as well. He says, so we must be, we must go forward and talk about this with people, which I do, and like you do. But my point is, this is a gentleman that has gone through life like we all have, and a lot of people don't realize that Christianity, to a degree, is being taken down. And we got to stand up and fight for it. So we parted. We gave each other a hug. It was a wonderful experience. And uh, we, we I may never see the man again, but it, it riveted to me what is going on. And we've got to get back to our beliefs. And I would love to see the Catholic Church come out and say some more positive things. But unfortunately, you don't see it that often. Well, I love that you had that moment. It sounds like a real human connection. And um yeah, Joe, uh, the only time he really seems to talk about Christianity is when he's bragging about how well he knows the Pope and talking about, uh, you know, just bragging about what a, the Pope said, I'm a great Catholic. Christianity is a lot more about a lot more than that. And yeah, we got to fight for it. But you know what? Even when it's not under siege, we got to practice it and share the good news because it is the ultimate good news. Thank you, Bill. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I love it. I love it. People are catching on. Hey, you know why uh, local media like the New York Times are leaning on Eric Adams, giving him a hard time? They were authorized by the White House. You know, Eric, uh, behind the scenes, has been giving the White House all kinds of uh, difficulties, right? Just not playing along, not... uh, uh, you know, look, when you're in politics, there are certain rules of politics that you got to kind of abide by, and he's not abiding by them. And uh, it's all about Eric. It's all about him. And th- th- this, I do believe, is uh, it's authorized by the uh, the White House itself. Take this guy out.
Uh, they can do these kinds of things. I mean, he might even be Cuomo'd. Remember what they did to Cuomo? I know how you guys feel about that, but I tell you again, uh, Andrew Cuomo, uh, no predator. And that was an authorized hit, uh, from Joe Biden himself. Uh, big time. Did you see that the drone, we have an American drone flying over the Middle East and Russian airplanes are messing with our drones? Seems like we're, um, we're at odds with Russia a lot these days. And it doesn't have to be. Remember in 2016, uh, this is what Donald Trump said he would uh, provide uh, to uh, the world. Decent relations with between America and Russia. And what could be wrong with that when you think about it? If Trump were still in the White House, we wouldn't have had that silly invasion of Ukraine. I'll tell you that. And just about everybody understands that and knows that. Listen to this. It's all the way back in 2016, the summer of 2016, when Donald Trump is running for president, cut 24. I would treat Vladimir Putin firmly, but there's nothing I can think of that I'd rather do than have Russia friendly as opposed to the way they are right now so that we can go and knock out ISIS together with other people and with other countries. Wouldn't it be nice if we actually got along with people? Wouldn't it be nice if we actually got along as an example with Russia? I'm all for it. And let's go get ISIS, because we have to get ISIS, and we have to get them fast. You saw what happened with the priests. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Um, and by the way, he did go after ISIS, totally beat ISIS. Never hear about ISIS anymore, right? You never hear about them. They're gone. And he made that happen. Now, you know what's excuse me, happening in France right now? France is crumbling. France is, <laughs> and I did not realize this, but it's a long time in the making. Um, and all the way back in 2016, the president was ahead of the curve on France. This is uh, before he became president again, 2016. You know, people say, oh, gosh, he's always tweeting. He's always doing this. He's always doing that. You know what? You know what he was doing more than anything else? Talking about substance, talking about the issues. Cut 25. It's only going to get worse, and it's going to start getting bad in our country. We're letting people come in by the tens of thousands. You see what happened to the French priest. A friend of mine, he said he was going to France like three, four months ago. I saw him yesterday. I said, how do you like France? He said, I wouldn't go to France. I wouldn't go to France. Because France is no longer France. France is no longer France. They won't like me for saying that, but you see what happened in Nice, you see what happened yesterday with the priest who was supposed to be a spectacular man. France is no longer France. And this world better be very careful, and they better get very tough and very smart, and they'll never do it with Hillary Clinton. And by the way, in terms of change, she's been there for 30 years. She's been doing this for 30 years. Mm. What, you're going to go all of a sudden things are going to change? <laughs> of course not. Uh, France is no longer France. I told you that they let the animals out of the zoo. Lions and tigers and bears are running all over Paris. It's crazy. And Macron, is that his name? He's the head of France. He's partying with his, uh, with his much older wife, Brigitte. They were partying all night long at some discotheca. And the thing about that is it's kind of gross how Emmanuel Macron met uh, his his wife. Uh, he was in sixth grade and she was 30. It's true. You can look at it. It's true. She was, I mean, 
She's either going to be the first lady of France or she's going to be in prison. I mean, I think this is still against the law, even in France. I know they're a little bit ooh-la-la and a little bit uh, more open and liberal and tolerant than uh, than we are of certain matters uh, related to the bedroom, but I think even that's kind of uh, out of bounds. Although, well, I'll talk about that next time. Uh, uh, remember Mary Kay Letourneau? She was like 40, and she met that that young boy in class, and they ultimately got married. As soon as he was old enough, they got married, and they lived together for like 15 years. Uh, you know how Jerry Lewis is really big in France? These people, I mean, they were like Meghan and Harry in France. And nobody, everybody forgot. Nobody really cared. You know, once they were old enough, nobody, uh, the kid was old enough, nobody really followed it anymore. But every time they went to France, they're total superstars. They got divorced and she died. Uh, but that was a big deal. The French, huh? Yeah. I kind of like, I like the French. I like France. Uh, but. I think Trump is right. No more France. You know what? The world would be so much better if uh, Trump were still in office. And I got to tell you, uh, I have my doubts about the election. Okay. I think it's okay. I think it's still legal to have concerns about the fairness of the 2020 election. Totally is. Doesn't feel like that sometimes, but uh, it is, especially in Pennsylvania, where I think the entire vote was against the Constitution. Uh, It was an illegal vote, an illegal vote in in Pennsylvania. But anyway... Um, it gets to the House floor January 6th. And under the Electoral Count Act of 1887, and this is debatable, but that's what you have a Supreme Court for, right? Very brilliant people can disagree. They can look at the same document and think it says the opposite thing. Five to four decisions, six, three decisions. We see them all the time. People disagree about what the Constitution or what the law says. Well, under the Electoral Count Act of 1887, we think that the vice president had a bit more latitude than he thought. And some lady in Iowa confronted him about this because, you know, if we did still have Trump, we wouldn't have a lot of this crazy stuff going on. And uh, it's going to be hard to hear her. But Mike Pence, Mike Pence uh, responds um, and says, lady, you don't know what you're talking about. He doesn't say it quite like that. But anyway, cut 26, please. If it wasn't for your vote... We would not have Joe Biden in the White House. Right. Joe Biden shouldn't be there. And all those wonderful things that you and Trump were doing together would be continuing. And this country would be on the right path. Do you ever second-guess yourself? That was a constitutional right that you had to send those votes back to the states. Let me speak to the issue, because I think it's... It's an issue that continues to be misunderstood. The Constitution affords no authority for the Vice President or anyone else to reject votes or return votes to the states. Never been done before, should never be done in the future. I'm sorry, ma'am, but that's actually what the Constitution says. No Vice President in American history ever asserted the authority that you have been convinced that I had. But I want to tell you, with all due respect, I said before, I said when I announced President Trump was wrong about my authority that day, and he's still wrong. Uh, well, we don't think so, actually. And people can disagree with that. Even the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy that uh, the left said, oh, we got to listen to this one guy. Don't listen to the Supreme Court. we got an entire Supreme Court. Don't listen to them. Don't even let it get to the Supreme Court. We're going to find one retired judge, and he's going to have the final say on this thing, and he's going to have the final say on Twitter. They actually brought this guy out. Michael Ludig was his name. Very mean, bitter, uh, kind of jerky guy because he was so upset he wasn't put on the Supreme Court. 
And unfortunately, I think he took to drinking a lot. I mean, just very strange man. And you look at him, total Trump derangement. You see him before Trump becomes president, and then you see him after. It's like he's been taken over by an evil spirit. Very strange guy. Just to give you a sense of how strange he is, look at what he says about you and me. Cut 27. Donald Trump and his allies and supporters are a clear and present danger to American democracy. Wow, huh? I'm a supporter. I'm a supporter. Am I a clear and present danger to American democracy? I think that is a very dangerous thing he just said. And you know what a clear, if you look up the phrase clear and present danger, I know it was a Tom Clancy book, right, in a movie. It means basically you can throw out the law to protect the country. You can get rid of the law. Fascism. Authoritarianism. Like that's what he's saying is justified to take care of people like you and me because we're such a threat. What? We believe in having uh, strong borders, not getting into wars that we lose all the time, uh, the Constitution, not judging people based on the color of skin. Are these are th- This is a problem with you, Judge? Well, he's got problems, big problems. And even there, with the, with the, the light is on him and he's under scrutiny, he, really, he plays such a weird game here. This is the guy they hung all the arguments on. This one retired judge, what about our Supreme Court? Now listen to this, it gets very strange. There's going to be a big delay here. This is not, this is him. He, he can't get his ideas together. Cut 28. Uh, judge Ludig, I had the incredible honor of serving as one of your law clerks. Another person who did uh, was John Eastman. And you've written that Dr. Eastman's theory that the vice president could determine who the next president of the United States is, is, in your words, Incorrect at every turn. Could you please explain briefly your analysis? Watch how long it takes him to say something. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Huh? It was my honor. There you go. Mr. Wood, to have you serve as my law clerk. I could answer that question perfectly if I had uh, at my disposal either Mr. Eastman's tweet. No, brother, he wants to look at the tweet. All right, you get the idea. This guy's weird. This guy's totally weird. Now, they say, this is the guy they say, uh, Judge Ludig said that, uh, that, Mike Pence couldn't do anything other than count those votes on January 6th, that he had no discretion. Again, let's let's pretend for a moment that he found out that the people in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the state legislators were being held at gunpoint and they forced them. You guys have got to vote for Biden or else. And they were holding their family hostage. Right. Imagine if that happened. And somehow they kept that quiet until the votes got to Vice President Pence. Would his only role be to. Just count them? No, of course not. Common sense kicks in. And even this guy, this shady, weird guy, Ludig, kind of acknowledges that here. Um, because they ask him that question. So you're saying that he couldn't do anything but count? Uh, not really. Cut 29. 
Judge Ludig, at the risk of oversimplifying for the non-lawyers who are watching, is it fair to say that the 12th Amendment basically says two things happen? The vice president opens the the certificates and the electoral votes are counted. Is it that straightforward? I would not want that to be my testimony before the Congress of the United States. Wow. (laughs) All right. So so what is it, pal? Um, Mike Pence is not going anywhere. Not only that, not only are people frustrated um, by his performance or lack thereof on January 6th, he could have told everybody ahead of time what he thought his role was. He could have, but he didn't. Um, so there's that. And then there's also this is just overall crumminess as a candidate. Nobody likes him. Um, and he's just not going anywhere. And oh, by the way, it is incredibly disloyal. Um, and Donald Trump gave him everything. And for him to do this, just like you, Ron DeSantis, I'll be back. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, uh, sorry, congratulations again to, uh, I know they sound kind of obscure, but the uh, the attorneys general of Louisiana and Missouri, what do they do? Well, they sued Joe Biden and they sued uh, Big Tech. And so far, they're they're winning. This is amazing what they have established. A judge has now agreed that Big Tech, Joe Biden, they were censoring the uh Censoring conservatives like you and me, censoring people who may not <laughs> agree with them or may have concerns about the vaccine. You know, anytime you give any kind of vaccine to or any kind of pill to hundreds of millions of people, some people are going to have adverse reactions. Some people are actually going to potentially die. Even vaccines that have been around for a long time or pills like there are people out there. Hell, there are people who get who, who will die if they eat a peanut. There are people who will die the moment they taste a peanut. So there are obviously going to be people who die who get vaccinated. Now, you can take that risk. I personally, I will tell you, I took that risk. My wife convinced me uh, that I had to take the vaccine, and I did. I had all kinds of crazy reactions, lumps. I moaned, uh, hallucinated. Uh, I just felt terrible, uh, but I got through it. And uh, and that happened. So whatever. That was my choice. Sometimes people give me a hard time for doing it. I mean, quite frankly, it's uh, it's 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 nobody's business. That was up to me, my wife and uh, my physician and the lady who gave me the shot at uh, NYU Langone. Very nice. But um, we can talk on social media about our concerns about this stuff. Right. Wrong. What they did, and a judge has seen, uh, has seen it. A judge, here's from the judge's order, okay? This is what the judge concluded. That virtually all of the free speech suppressed was conservative free speech. At least 22 times the White House engaged in unrelenting pressure against tech companies. White House defendants engaged in coercion to induce social media companies to suppress free speech. The White House made it very clear to social media companies what they wanted suppressed and what they wanted amplified. Faced with that unrelenting pressure from the most powerful office in the world, the social media companies complied. The Hunter Biden laptop story was real. It wasn't Russian disinformation. 
And the FBI's failure to alert social media companies to this fact is particularly troubling, the judge said. I think galling or outrageous, but whatever, troubling. The FBI falsely suggested to social media companies that the Hunter Biden laptop was fake. What in the hell is the FBI doing? Defund the FBI. Absolutely. Absolutely. FBI. There's nothing I like about that, to be honest. The FBI. Federal? Not a fan. Bureau? Terrible. Investigation? As long as you're investigating fairly and equitably, you're not. You're not. You're a political outfit. You guys lost it. Forget it. Oh, by the way, one of the um, the lawyers who just hooked up Hunter Biden with this sweetheart, no jail, no felony conviction, um, a sweetheart deal. Guess who he used to work with and for? Louis Free. Who is Louis Free? Former director of the FBI. Guess what Louis Free did? For who knows what the hell reason, and there was a reason, gave the Biden family a $100,000 gift. A gift. Just gave him a gift. Here's $100,000. Spend it wisely. Talk about a swamp. That happened. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, I don't listen to music like I used to listen to music uh, primarily. I don't drive like I used to drive, and that's where I listen to music for the most part. Uh, but I do remember this song. I uh, came out when I first got my iPod. Remember the iPod when we called the iPhone an iPod? I don't know. It's 20, 25 years old or so, and uh, it's by Stardust, and it goes like this. Okay, hit it. gets better it's a good song right strong beat all right stop stop so (laughs) that's a great song and it's uh, seemed pretty original to me and uh, uh it's by a group called stardust and uh it's not that deep. Music sounds better than you or with you and I need you and baby, I love you and all that stuff. So the other, uh, more recently, like the other day, uh, a new uh, uh, song has come out, a new version of that. And this thing has been downloaded and streamed 150 million times. Can I hear the new version of the same song? They made it dreary and lame. This would be. You see, they didn't even come up with anything new. They just took away half the instruments. You know what I mean? Doesn't it sound like you got to be high a little bit? Let me hear the first one again and go a few seconds in. Go 20 seconds in. Yeah. That's kick ass. Right? That's professional. Now let me hear the little uh, the little thing that the two dudes did together. That's gone 150 billion viral streams. Ay ay ay. So I think music is in total decline. Everyone's copying each other. 
Paul McCartney said, actually, we've run out of notes, or there's only so many things you can do with the notes, and we're running out of things we can do with notes. But curiously, uh, the song that I really like, the first version of this, the the the, the give me the, the one I like, yeah, that one. They copied this one, too. Guess from who? Shaka Khan. This is 1981. You see how they lifted that guitar riff? They're just a bunch of copycats. All right. Well, anyway, that's it. I'm no music critic, but I noticed that. And sometimes I wonder if it's me when it comes to the music. Uh, no, I think the music has gotten, it's plateaued. It's not evolving anymore. It's not, uh, it's kind of going backwards, right? I mean, that, the, the, my version, the one I like the most has the drive, has the pulse, right? You know, but the other one is just like, a couple, yeah, right? Anyway, and then it's just those two dudes hanging out in their basement mixing records. Ooh. All right. What do you guys think? Uh, hi, Sandra. Welcome back. How are you? I'm great. I love that music. It's making me want to dance uh, because I used to work out to music like that. Very nice. Tell me more. Yeah. Well, I wanted to say that um, I don't know if you know this person. His name is Bill Ackerman or Ackerman. He is um, the CEO of Pershing uh, Investments. He is like a very influential investor on Wall Street, and he stunned all his Wall Street peers by amplifying RFK's skepticism on vaccines. So he listened to all his podcasts. He went to many of his town hall meetings. And now he says, you know, we this is worth learning more about because vaccines have side effects. So, you know, he's changed 180 degrees since listening to RFK on this. So I just thought I would share that. All right, thank you. Yeah, I have have heard of Bill Ackerman, uh, or Ackman. He's some guy. Uh, you know, granted, he did very well on Wall Street, and sometimes you do well in one thing. Uh, people start listening to you when you talk about stuff you have no idea about. Uh, but you know, we're allowed to talk about these things, and uh, I do think RFK is onto something. And uh, good for Bill Ackman, Ackerman, whatever, uh, to um, to uh, uh, give him a little uh, boost. I like that, uh, Nikki. Hi. Hi. Hi, Greg. How are you? Fine, fine. First time caller. Uh, I'm going to make this short but sweet. I found out about you on Good Day New York a long time ago, and then somehow I managed upon your podcast, which I normally listen to at night, but I'm listening to you now because I had the opportunity. Technically, this is not a podcast. This is not a podcast. This is a radio show. Sometimes we put the radio show in podcast form. But it's not technically a podcast. Um, but continue. I'm sorry. At night. No, it's okay. At night, normally I listen to you on your, the podcast. All righty. Then I also watch you on Newsmax, oh. and I have been telling everybody, as much as I love all the rest of the people on Newsmax, I said, you have to watch Greg Kelly. You're funny, informative, and I'm not going to lie. I told your caller, screen caller, that when I first started listening to you, I thought I didn't really like you. Because I thought you sounded kind of mean to the callers, but then I get it now, and it's like, I do like you, I like your music, you're funny, and I especially like when you talk about your children, and you bring up Annalise and her little recordings, I love it. 
So please keep doing what you're doing. And you're, you're not only someone in New York that people are listening to. I can hear you, and I'm in Chicago. So people out there are, are listening. And I'm a huge Trump supporter. I'm a Christian, and I work, and I don't want nothing from the government. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all beautiful. Thank you very much. It's amazing to me. You're in Chicago, and you know about Annalise, and you know about Madeline. Where was I ever mean to the callers, though? I don't remember being mean to the callers, except Jamal occasionally in the Bronx, but he gets on my nerves. Uh, let's see. Judith in Brooklyn. Uh, she doesn't call anymore. I really was vicious with her. Uh, yeah, you're right about that. I kind of was kind of a jerk with the caller sometimes, but, uh, you know, look, it's talk radio. It happens. Nikki, thank you. Uh, what do you do in Chicago? Oh, shoot. Um, all right, I'll do one more. Uh, Joe in Mount Sinai. Hello, Greg. Uh, listen, hey, hold on a second. Uh, Nikki didn't I, hang up. You guys hung up on her, right? Okay, good. That Whew. was my bad. Uh, all right. Uh, thank uh, Joe, uh, yes, sir. All right. Uh, when I was a young boy, 16 years old, 15 years old, I watched 60 Minutes, and I saw for the That's first time That's not that young. I would eyes. say young boy is like seven or eight. You know what I mean? You're a teenager when you're 16. Or a young adult. Okay. And I saw Joe Biden say, I got off that Amtrak train. I saw that advertisement, that billboard. I told my brother, you find out who that woman is, I'm going to marry her. He's a goddamn liar from the first breath he took until the last breath he takes. All right. He's going. Let's to not bring God into it. All right. I mean, the GD stuff. Come on. That's a little. Uh, I don't know if we bleep that out or whatever. He's a liar. All right. I mean, he is. Uh, I mean, totally shameless. Part of it is, you know, he grew up in the 40s and 50s and 60s, and he's basically trapped in that era. He doesn't know that we have <laughs> we can prove him in lies in real time. He doesn't he's never caught up. I told you that sometimes some politicians, they stop growing. They or anybody who gets really famous, sometimes they stop growing the moment they got really famous. Quite frankly, they say it happened to Elvis Presley. You know, he's famous at the age of what, 21? And he's like 21 for the rest of his life. Joe Biden is like a 29, 30-year-old punk for the rest of his life. Not that all punks are 29, 30, whatever. But, yeah, he's a he's he's a liar, all right. I hope he gets straightened out. You know, there's hope for anybody, Joe. Including him. All right, stop. Now you're listening to yourself on the radio. <laughs> I know when you said that stuff. You can't say GD on the radio. Come on. Uh, all right, give me a break. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, I don't want to talk about this thing in Texas with the missing kid who wasn't missing, who uh, I guess the mom made him into the husband, and there were drugs and torture and sex involved. Yikes. That is, uh, ooh, what a terrible, terrible story. Much more pleasant and humorous, by the way, is Eric Adams pretending that he cares about anybody but himself, walking around boasting that he has the uh, a picture of a long-deceased cop from 1987, killed in the line of duty back in 1987, and Eric runs around telling everybody he's got a picture of that cop in his wallet. <laughs> Turns out that uh, he put the picture in the wallet about three weeks ago. <laughs> and he had City Hall aides uh, take a, pic- a photocopy and try to make it look old so he could put it in his wallet because uh, the New York Times and others were starting to ask questions about this other lie 
another lie that he's been telling. So here he is at a public event not too long ago, um, pulling the whole, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm talking, I was a cop and my, my buddy got killed. Go ahead, please. And as I heard the commissioner speak, I reached into my pocket and I pulled out this photo. This photo is Robert Venable. He was one of my closest friends when I was a transit police officer. Robert died when he was shot in the head while responding to a job. We were going away that week and go on vacation together. I thought about Robert also tonight. All right. And he goes on to say that this picture was in his wallet for the past uh, 20 so years, 20 or so years. Uh, Eric Adams and the New York Times have gone to war over these claims. The dramatic spectacle erupted Thursday, the Post says, when the outlet alleged that a portrait of Officer Robert Venable that Adams says he has long carried with him is not legit and is instead just a printed-out Google image that was doctored to make it appear older. The mayor's office immediately went on the defensive, furiously accusing the outlet of waging a false attack against him. It is disgusting what the New York Times said, but they will not respond to any more phone calls. The crux of the Times story, based on a person familiar with the so-called ordeal, is that staffers inside the mayor's office were pressured into manipulating the photo of Venable in January last year, just days after Adams first publicly revealed he carried that tiny portrait. And there are all kinds of pictures of him holding this thing up. And, um, you know, we all know enough about photocopies and uh, what pictures look like. And, yeah, they this was definitely doctored. They wanted it to appear older than it actually was. I got to ask my dad about this if he remembers uh, Venable. I remember this actually making news. The name is very familiar, Venable, all the way back in September of 1987. The Times reached out to the family. Looked like, oh, gosh, I'm looking at the pictures of this man's funeral. And um, they reached out to the little daughter there in January, and she's like, I had no idea that Eric Adams was doing this. She thinks it's great that people are talking about her dad again, and her dad, an unquestionable, unquestioned hero, of course. But this is a little bit, I don't know, it's kind of like um, stolen valor, you know? It's like trying to bask in the reflected glory. Officer Robert Venable shot in the line of duty, and he says, okay, but why why that one? And I'm looking at the image right here. That's a photocopy, and it was doctored. No, no doubt about it. And good for the times for calling this out. These silly stories these politicians keep telling us. Joe Biden perfected it. Hey, I guess Adam thought he could, uh, you know, bluff his way into the White House, right? Just tell a bunch of stories. Just make make mundane things seem more interesting. And um, you can benefit politically. Wow. Mike and Wayne, hello. Greg, how are you? I just want to, real quick, yeah, the music in the 80s when I came up was definitely better than now. The people now, they sing with synthesizers to make their voices better. But anyway, I noticed one thing about Biden supporters. You know, they get they treat him with kids' gloves just like the FBI was. I had a, a discussion with a woman today, 72 years old. She goes, without a doubt, somebody planted that cocaine in the White House to make them look bad. I said, ma'am. Anyone that enters that White House by the Secret Service is practically strip-searched and or seized 
if there's something going on. And I said to her, guess what? The only persons that are not searched is Biden and his family. And she didn't know what to say. But, Greg, I've noticed they say age equals wisdom, right? But when it comes to him, older folks, I, I don't get it. I'm, I'm mystified by the support they give this guy, you know? And I said to her, guess what? I would rather be in a cult of MAGA than a cult of stupidity any day in my life. That's, you know, and I, I want to thank you, Greg, for keeping me busy. This, I had a horrible week last week, and I listen to your show every day, and I love it. And um, What happened last week? My beloved dog, 12-year-old, my buddy Jake, my yellow lab, I had to put him down. It, it wasn't easy. All right. I'm sorry um, about that. But, hey, 12 years, right? 12 years. That's a, that's a good run for a dog. No, it, it's a good run, but to do that, it's hard, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, I was there with him because you never want him to be alone when you do that. And uh, it was a hard thing to do, no matter. But, no, you're right. Did you get yeah, a new dog? 12-year life. Yeah, eventually, because, you know what, Greg, you have to experience the love of a dog one day in your life and have that unconditional love, unconditional loyalty, and it'll change. It'll make you. It made me a better man. Do you have kids? I have two sons. Okay, good. Sometimes, and this is a trend and i see it makes me feel sad i mean dogs are great i grew up with dogs i love dogs all right but i mean i don't know if you have an if you have the possibility to have children if there's if that's it's, i encourage it i think a lot of a lot of women um in manhattan especially they they get these little dogs because the guys are such jerks a lot of them in this city sorry they are the toxic bachelors look i was one of them all right, running around, you know, just uh, no commitment, this, that, the other thing. Yeah, see you later. You know, you want to hang out for a little while, that kind of thing. And so these, a lot of these women get these little beautiful dogs because they have these maternal instincts and they want to take care of something and they want to love. But it's not, you know, it's not the same thing. I saw this cartoon once. A woman is uh, looking at a dog and and she says, "Sit, stay." And fix everything that's wrong with my life. <laughs> Just like, you know, we get these dogs and they fill in the gaps. But look, nothing, that's not your dog. What was your dog's name? Uh, his name was Jake. Uh, Jake was a beautiful 12-year-old yellow lab male. And he uh, he made my life, my son's, all my both son's family life uh, better for 12 years. And you're right. You know, let's have some human beings and then some dogs and everybody we can all live a lovely life together right you know what i mean a dog is uh you know a dog they love us right they love and it's un- it's unconditional you're right but human beings are a bit more complex and a bit more complicated and a little it takes a bit more maintenance and uh sometimes uh anyway mike thank you very much uh hey have you seen all these poor people who have gotten fi- gotten fired from jobs and retail uh, all for calling the police and and taking video of shoplifters Apparently, in some of these major retailers, the instruction is to give up, walk away, let them take whatever they want. Now, I understand if you run a business, you don't want to get sued. You don't want your employees to get hurt. But they're firing people. Uh, There was a grocery store. The video went viral. I think it's out in uh, Nevada. And these guys follow these two, three people out of the store who have shoplifted about $800 worth of stuff. And all they're doing is filming them and saying, come on, are you guys serious? The, the economy's not that bad. And uh, they get a look at the car, and they're loading it furiously, and they all hop in, and one guy almost gets run over, one of the robbers, one of the shoplifters. Anyway, uh, those guys who filmed it, the employees of the store were fired. Fired! 
And so were the Lululemon people. Lululemon down there in Atlanta, you're supposed to just give it up. I understand you don't want your employees to get into a fight with some crazy shoplifter who might have a knife or a gun, but it's so emasculating to think that you just got to stay there and do nothing. I don't think I like that either. Barbara. Yes, hi, Greg. Good afternoon. Um, I was just hearing you talk about Mike Pence, among other things, and I'm I'm so disappointed and worse than that with that man because he had the responsibility as president of the United as vice president of the United States to oversee the electoral count, and he failed so badly. Thomas Jefferson had some advice for him. Thomas Jefferson said on every question of con- of construction of the Constitution. Let us carry ourselves back to the time when the Constitution was adopted, recollect the spirit of the debates, and conform to the probable meaning in which it was passed. So whether it was the Constitution or an amendment to the Constitution, Mike Pence had the obligation, the sacred duty to do this to go back with whatever advisors and attorneys and constitutional experts he needed to and do a thorough investigation of this and then communicate it to the American people. He failed miserably. And what happened was he, our vice president, invoked tyranny upon this country because a famous French philosopher said, there is no greater tyranny than that which is perpetrated under the shield of law and in the name of justice. And Mike Pence opened the door to tyranny, and then we saw that door opened even wider with the January 6th hearing. We sure did. Hey, Barbara, you're the best. I'll see you guys later. I appreciate it.